Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, July the 5th, 2022. It is currently 1022 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, where... Well, the holiday weekend is over. The 4th of July holiday weekend has ended, so that probably means you're back to work, back to your normal routine. I hope you had a great weekend. If you're listening to me live, you may be listening to this a week from now, a month from now. So so wherever you may be, whenever you may be listening, I hope things are well with you, and I thank you so very much for tuning in. We have a lot to do in this episode. We have a lot to do, and... Um, I, I, that, there's no way, I don't think we can finish it in this episode. I don't think, I wish we could, but there's just no way. So we've already done part one. Now this will be part two. And then we'll probably have to come back and do part three, either later tonight or maybe tomorrow. I don't know. We'll see if we can finish it in three parts. But I guess the only way to finish it is to get started. The only problem is I really don't know how to get started anymore. It, 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 it's, it felt so simple at the beginning, right? News article. This this very well-known pastor has repented of his false teaching. That's that's very simple. Okay, just grab the news article and just report it. Okay, well, the news article only had like, a, you know, what about a two-minute clip of supposedly the sermon where this famous pastor repented of their false teaching. Now, I could have grabbed that little two-minute clip, went with the news article, and reported it that way, but you know, I, I, I cannot do that. There's just something inside of me that says, nope. Don't do it that way. If someone's going to say someone said something in a sermon, I don't care if they're praising it. I don't care if they're critiquing it. I don't care if they're criticizing it. I'm like, well, we're going to review the entire sermon because I want the person to be heard in their own words, right? I want the, if it's good, I want everyone to hear all of the good. If it's bad, I want everyone to hear all of the bad. So um, I was like, okay, I'm going to find the entire sermon. Someone helped me out. They found the entire sermon for me. It's well over an hour long, so we started reviewing it yesterday, and we made it to about the 12-minute mark. Now, I've backed it up to 10 minutes and 54 seconds, because I because this is really where I think, this is where everything gets very frustrating with me, okay? Because the, the original idea is, oh, this person repented of some really messed up doctrine. That's a great thing. That's a good thing. And I, and I, I gave us kind of a personal challenge. That whenever there's false teachers, whenever there's false preachers, our, our, our heart's desire should be their repentance. It, we, we should really take the time to pray that God would have mercy on them. And we should really care about the repentance, not just to condemn them and talk negatively about them. I really made that an emphasis in part one at the beginning. You can go back and listen to it. But as we started reviewing the sermon, I found myself somewhat frustrated because I'm like, okay, I thought this was going to kind of start off as a, this is going to be more like a a celebration that at least in this one area of doctrine, they've kind of repented. That's a good thing. But by the time we got to the end of part one, I'm not so sure there was any kind of actual repentance, to be honest with you. I, 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 I don't know what it was. So, but I, I did say at the end of part one, I cannot be dogmatic yet because we have to finish the rest of the sermon. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Here is the story that dropped yesterday, all right? Here's the headline. Creflo Dollar repents of false teaching. 
throw away every book, every tape I ever did, ever did on the subject of tithing. Creflo Dollar, we heard him say that. He he said this in the sermon, throw away every book, every tape I ever did on the subject of tithing. So it looks like Creflo Dollar was repenting of on what he used to preach in regards to tithing. All right? Which would be somewhat you know important especially if you know anything about Creflo Dollar, let me read to how the article describes him. Creflo Dollar is one of the most infamous and successful prosperity preachers to have ever lived, joining such men as Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland as the trio of art heretics most responsible for exporting the false prosperity gospel throughout the world. A televangelist and pastor of the 30,000-member World Changers Church International in Atlanta, he's known for his wealth extravagant lifestyle, owning several multi-million dollar homes, expensive luxury cars, and being a, a proponent of little God's theology and making headlines back in t- 2015 when he asked followers and supporters to fund a purchase of a $65 million private jet. Now, just so that we're, we're accurate, I've now seen three different numbers given for the price of this jet. I think CNN had it at $60 million, I had another article that had it at 68 million and they report at 65 million. Okay. Now, yesterday in the episode, I was like 60. And then I kind of stopped myself and then I I did go and try to verify. I'm just going to say this. He is known for raising funds to purchase a very expensive jet that cost somewhere in the millions upon millions of dollars. It doesn't seem we may have the exact number because we want to be accurate and we want to be fair. So he's known for this concept. And and the way he kind of taught the concept goes a little bit like this, is like, hey, if, if you want to activate prosperity in your own life, you need to plant a seed, a faith seed in, in, in the work of God. And you can do so by give, planting a faith seed by giving me money, right? And giving me that money. And, and this is also kind of an Old Testament requirement under the Old Testament law of tithing that he would have said was still applicable today. So you need to tithe. You need to plant that faith seed in my ministry and then it will activate prosperity in yours. That's an oversimplification, but a bare, very basic idea of kind of the way it worked. Well, he's well well known for all of this. Well, the fact that uh, this news article is saying that he has repented of at least part of that teaching, well, that's a pretty big deal, right? He he's repented, right? That that's a big deal. I I don't think the headline originally had a question mark. I think originally it just said Creflo Dollar repents of false teaching, throw away every book. But this morning, um, the headline has a question mark. So I don't know if I missed the question mark or if it, they updated it. Because when I originally posted my podcast episode, I, I think I left off the question mark. And then when after we reviewed a little bit, I, I went back and put the question mark. I put the question mark in because I'm not so sure this is repentance. I, I don't know what this is. He clearly has rejected the idea. We can at least establish this in part one. He clearly now rejects the idea that the Old Testament tithe is a is a law that is uh, binding on New Testament Christians. He thinks the, the tithe is no longer binding on New Testament Christians. It was an Old Testament law, and that's done away with, all right? But it seems that he hasn't necessarily 
reject. It seems like he's just found a new way to a repackaging in some way of kind of his same old word of faith, prosperity, gospel kind of teaching. It just sounds like it's almost that this is a an evolution of that teaching. It's a repackaging of it. And, and I didn't even quite notice it at first, but someone who was listening yesterday made the comment in the chat. And I was like, whoa, that, that is, that's really good. I didn't even think about it that way. And, and, and we, we're still trying to figure it out. So we cannot be dogmatic. We have a lot of sermon to, to go to. But here's kind of where, where I, I've backed up the audio to where I think everything goes crazy. Now, the, one of the things that, there's a lot of things that went crazy yesterday. I think the first thing is he, he made it clear. I, I'm not going to apologize. He says he's not going to apologize because he believes that teaching that way in the past led him to where he is today, which to me is kind of weird. If you believe what you taught in the past, you apologize, right? You apologize. And then you can say, but I'm grateful that through that I've arrived at this place. I don't know why he was unwilling to apologize, which is kind of questionable. Not only that, if you, if you realize that you've been teaching a, a certain way about people giving money that wasn't accurate, I don't know. Do you feel any responsibility to do something with the millions upon millions, millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of dollars you have and the luxury homes and the extravagant lifestyle you have lived at the expense of other people giving you money and a lot of it based off your fraudulent teaching? I mean, you think it would, you would be not only an apology, there would be, I'm going to do something about a lot of the money that I have received, but there doesn't seem to be any move in that direction, at least so far in the sermon. But we've got the, I've got the sermon queued up to the 10 minute, 54 second mark, 10 minute, 54 second mark, because this is where I got really bothered. He's getting ready to tell us that God woke him up at five something in the morning and told him to write something down. So he's claiming that God gives him direct revelation that he was to write down, which would make it just as authoritative as the rest of the Bible, because he's literally being given the very words of God to write down. And it basically becomes the basis of his new understanding of giving, his new philosophy of giving. This is really where I think, I think he's just replaced, dare I say, and in some ways it feels like he may have replaced one bad teaching with another bad teaching, or he's just repackaged a bad teaching in a different way to make it sound more spiritual and less legalistic. I, I don't know. You can draw your own conclusions, but this is where we're going to go back to, and then we're going to see if we can make it through the rest of, oh, well, we're not going to make it through the rest of it. We'll see if we, we can see if we can reach, uh, how far we can reach, and then we'll make a determination on what to do as far as part three is concerned. So are you ready? Creflo Dollar. He preached this sermon, I think we said, uh, like June, June the 26th, 2022. It's called The Great Misunderstanding by Creflo Dollar. He supposedly, the way it's being reported, he repents of false teaching in regards to tithing, all right. However, he's not going to apologize. He's not going to, it doesn't appear he's offering to do anything with the millions and millions and millions of dollars he, he took, he fleeced the flock for, for, for I think, I think that would be fair to say. He's not going to do, seem, at this point in the sermon, he's not going to do anything about that. And not only that, God is talking directly to him, which would raise the question, if God is talking to you now, 
wait a minute, when you used to teach that other teaching, you claim God was talking to you, and you probably used God talking to you to justify some of that previous teaching. So was God talking to you in the past when you taught false? Or was God not talking to you in the past, but he's talking to you in the present? Yeah, there's just so many problems. But here we go. Here's Creflo Dollar telling us how God woke him up and gave him words to write down. On God. The Lord woke me up at 530 this morning and he said this to me. He said, get up and write it down before you lose it. He said that your giving is a response to my ability to take care of you. He said, when you give, it is your declaration of dependence on me. Okay, so I want you to hear how this works. All right. So God told him, woke him up. Hey, your giving is a declaration of your dependence on me to take care of you. So this is the way it's basically working now. Now we'll see how, if, how this plays out. But basically it's like, hey, okay, you got, you got $50. You got $50 in your pocket. Okay, great. You give me your $50. You give $50 to this ministry. You give $50 to, to your church, wherever, wherever this, the giving is supposed to go. You give your money to the church. You give your money to the work of God. And it declares your dependence on God to take care of you. You show that you truly believe God can take care of you because you're giving me money. Now, of course, you don't understand the, the whole circular reasoning here. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If my giving to you declares my dependence on God to take care of me, then why do you need my money? You should declare your dependence that God will take care of you by not asking for my money, not wanting my money, not needing my money, and not taking my money. It, it, it can just, <laughs> I, I don't understand. And wait a minute. So I, I show my dependence on God to take care of me by giving you my money? Well, so then do I look to someone else and say, hey, you over there, you need to show your dependence that God will take care of you. You need to declare your dependence that God will take care of you by giving me your money. And then do they turn around and find someone else and say, hey, 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 I just gave them $100. I need you to show your dependence or I need you to declare your dependence that God will take care of you by giving me $200. How does this supposedly work? This seems like a real, like nobody's thought this through in any way, shape or form. So Basically, this is what's happened. I repent of ever teaching that, that you are supposed to tithe because that's Old Testament. That's done away with. However, now I'm teaching you this. You give money, and I'm still, I'm, I'm believing unless he says otherwise, you give money to him to show your dependence or, show, or declare your dependence on God for taking care of you. But I guess he still continues to have his multi-million dollar homes, live his extravagant lifestyle because, but you, but you've got to give money to a millionaire <laughs> to show that you really depend on God to take care of you. But the millionaire just continues to take the money of everyone else showing their dependence on God to take care of them. So people who are poor will show their dependence on God by giving the millionaire money. I, there's something wrong with this entire system. All right. Now, maybe, maybe as we move forward, he's going to change this. Now, if you've never listened to any of my reviews, remember, I don't listen to them beforehand 
because that feel like that's rehearsing and it becomes a show. This is just real time listening and real time responding because I think it makes I think it makes for well a better podcast and I think it's more real and more organic and it doesn't come across as fake. So I am more than willing to acknowledge that right now I've got some negative feelings, but maybe before this is all over, this is going to change and I'm going to be like, wow, he repented. And now I understand the new teaching, but this new teaching to me right now is very problematic as far as what I have heard so far. But hey, we're going to listen to this together. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Remember, this all started. You see how frustrating this all started? It's like, oh, wow, this famous teacher repented of false teaching. We should celebrate. And now I'm like, I don't really know if we should even, if, if any news article should have ever said he repented of anything. He just changed it, it seems. But maybe I'm wrong. Here we go. Can I, can I read that again? Yes. Your giving is a response to God's ability to take, take care of you. I give because I now know that God can take care of me. That's why Abraham gave. He gave a tenth of everything because he says, oh, that's the possessor of heaven and earth. I don't have to worry about nothing. So I'm going to give and I'm going to, in my giving, make a declaration that he is able to take care of me. You remember what Abraham said to the king of Sodom? I've lifted my hands up before God. I won't take nothing down to a thread or a shoe latchet. So you won't ever be able to say you made Abram rich. But I have declared my dependence upon God. His time, his giving was a response to God's ability to take care of him. All right, this sounds good. Amen, amen. Okay, Creflo, stop asking for money. Don't take a dime. Show me you depend on God to take care of you. Don't take another dime and show me. It, 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 and I, people say, well, well, the way God takes care of me is through people's giving. I I understand that, but you realize you kind of walk yourself in a corner, right? Because so the people giving you money so that you can maintain your extravagant lifestyle, they're showing their dependence on God. So where do you show your dependence on God? Why is it a one-way street? Hey, I like I I hey, I don't have that much money, but I need to show my dependence on God by giving what little I have to some ministry. But the ministry, they just end up with multi-million dollar homes, multiple homes, living a lifestyle that many of the people giving could only ever dream of. Chick-fil-A don't open on Sunday because it is a response that God is able to take care of them. And if God is able to take care of them, why don't they give all of their food away for free? I mean, I mean, you you can take this argument and flip it around, right? Like, hey, God, Chick-fil-A, God is going to take care of us. All right. And you pull through the drive-thru. How can we serve you today? Yeah, I would like uh, some chicken nuggets and some waffle fries. Okay, that'll be $10. Uh, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. You're not, you're not declaring your dependency on God to take care of you. My money is taking care of you. So because I'm giving you money for a product, which like, okay. Look at 1 Corinthians 16 and 2. Watch this. On the first day of each week, you should... So this is the only place where he's talking about putting something aside. Watch this. The first day of each week, you should 
uh, each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there, Paul said, and then try to collect it all at once. So notice what he said. He says, put aside a portion of your money. He didn't say what percentage. He just said, put aside a portion of your money. So some in the Christian church have taken 10%, a 10% figure from the Old Testament tithe and applied it as the recommended minimum for Christians in their giving. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. He says, I want you to take a portion and put it aside. Now, if you want to give 10%, that's fine. But, you know, he didn't say that. I, I, I want to I get to a particular place where you understand that he is not requiring New Testament believers to operate in the Old Testament system of tithing, which included a blessing and a curse. If you're under grace, Jesus took the curse away and you already blessed. All right, now watch this. The New Testament talks about the importance and the benefits of giving. That's what it talks about. We are to give as we are able. And sometimes that means giving more than 10%. Sometimes that means giving less. It all depends on the ability of the Christian and the needs of the body of Christ. So every Christian should diligently pray and seek God's wisdom in the matters of participating uh, on how much you should give. That's the whole point. We're Christians now under the grace of God. We have a relationship with God. We need to be talking to God about giving us wisdom in our giving. Somebody says that ain't Bible. Look at James chapter 1 and 5. James chapter 1 and 5. There's no fun in you just bucket plunking. He wants you to spend some time with him. Lord, what you want me to do? James 1 and 5. If any, if any of you lack wisdom, wisdom is knowing what to do when you don't know what to do. How many of you have been in a situation when you, have, you don't know what to do? He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men. How? Liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given to him. So wisdom is available. Now, above all giving, above all giving should be given with pure motives. It should be given with an attitude of worship to God, and it should be given as a service to the body of Christ. So according to 2 Corinthians 9, 7, 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, look what he says here. He says, you must each decide in your, in your own heart how much to give. New Testament, you must decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or don't give in response to pressure. Well, the, the tithing teaching always pressured me. All right, someone just said, uh, you take away the 10%. Say so you can give whatever, but at the same time, same time, say that it shows your trust in God and God will tell you how much to give. Think it's possible that statistically the new teaching creates more generous giving. I think, I think there's a, a, a great, I think there's a good possibility that it would. Like if you just say, Hey, you just, have, just give 10%, 10%, 10%. Okay. That, that, in some cases, that becomes the minimum and the maximum that people will give. That's just kind of like the baseline. This, obviously, concept would throw out that and almost create a situation where, I mean, you're, you're almost, you've, 
I want you to think about this. You've removed the idea that you're under law, but in a roundabout way, you've kind of created a different law. Like, so he's, he said, you're not under law, but we're really kind of under a different law. And this law is about your, you, don't you want to demonstrate your dependency upon God? I mean, this is kind of an unspoken law that says, look, Hey, your giving shows how much you depend on God. Your giving shows you how much you trust God. Don't you want to be shown as someone who really trusts God? So this can be used in the same legalistic way and place the same pressure on everyone. Hey, you know, you get, and, and, and just think about the way this works. So supposedly you pray and I get, you know, because obviously they believe God is still speaking to people outside of the Bible. So you gotta, you gotta pray and you gotta listen to God, but they've already kind of, in a sense, they've kind of already placed a presuppositional way of thinking in your mind. Okay. You pray and you ask God, but remember you're asking God about giving. And remember your giving is ultimately going to demonstrate how much you trust God. So clearly God's going to be asking for a lot because, you know, he, he wants you to demonstrate your trust in him. All right. I mean, it almost, to me, it's just as replacing a kind of a legalistic idea with another legalistic idea. Now, I, I look, the New Testament does talk about giving. There's no one can deny, deny that. Yeah, we are to lay a sum aside. Yes, we should do so willingly, not grudgingly. Yes, we should do it not because of force or by constraint. Yes, I do believe there's some New Testament principles. But when you, when you start telling people, I mean, just remember what he said. God told him to write it down. So he's given them basically a different word of God. The word of God is your giving proves something. So how dare you give so little that it doesn't prove or demonstrate what it's supposed to demonstrate. In fact, it will demonstrate something really bad about you that you don't really trust God. I mean, that's a, that's an, that's an unspoken pressure placed on everyone. Come on. Come on. Really? Are, are you really demonstrating that you trust God? Come on. Come on. Come on. Show me. Show me. It's it, it's a it's a it's a subtle, deceptive, manipulative technique that really is just placing people under a different law. And 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 the difference is at least the Old Testament law is actually in the Bible. And this law that he's kind of given, well, he wrote it down because God supposedly told him, and it's not in the Bible. So either I'm gonna trust what the Bible says, or I'm gonna trust a new revelation given to Creflo Dollar. Who cares if he's repented of his false teaching about tithing? Who cares if he's putting forth concepts that are just, I mean, just as messed up or more messed up because obviously they're not even based on scripture, based off some extra biblical revelation he supposedly got. I don't know where this is going to go because he's got a, it's, it's really weird because I'm sitting here and we're at the 15 minute, 15 minute and 53 second mark, right? And I'm just listening. I'm like, what is he going to do for the next one hour and four minutes? Like he's, I think he's already made his point. He's, I mean, I'm, I'm just really concerned that uh, maybe this is going to uh, lead us to just saying, you know what? It's not even worth, worth uh, reviewing anymore. You can tell me what you think. I mean, we're going to go as long as we can, but I, I, I just have a feeling like what? How many different ways are you going to say this? You've already made your point, and your point is based off an extra biblical revelation. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's going to, who knows? We'll just see. I'm just getting that feeling like, wait, wh where is this headed? But maybe I'm wrong. It gave me fear. Malachi 3 and 10 says, what's that? You are cursed with a curse. I remember one time I 
my tithe was like, uh, I don't know what it was, a hundred and some dollars and 26 cents. And I didn't have the 26 cents. And somebody put a brick through my window, the, uh, my car window of a new car I had. And uh, Taffy and I just got married. And, and, and as soon as I did that, the condemnation of tithing and not tithing came up. And, I, and, and, and I'm like, you know, the devil just spoke to me and said, see, Dale, if you tithe, then this wouldn't happen. The only reason it happened, it's got, it was fear-based. He says, you're never to give in response to pressure. See, the reason why you ain't getting a job is because you ain't tithing. You should never give. That's pressure. Now, I agree with this, that, that, that a lot of those concepts is very fear-based. It's very pressured. But is he offering something substantially better? Because in the same way, this may not be fear-based, but I mean, not, well, who knows? Maybe he's going to, maybe he's going to try to describe it in a way, but to me, it's still a pressured idea. Come on, your giving demonstrates your dependency upon God. Come on, give, give, give. So I, I maybe it's a little bit different. I, I don't know. Well, let, let's see where he goes with this. You should never give in response to pressure. I tell you what. And now one of y'all going to get blessed until you start tithing. You should never give responding to pressure. He just told you how to give. You decide going to God, seeking wisdom, decide in your heart what you should give. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And certainly when God puts something in your heart and wisdom comes in your heart, what the actions are going to be cheerful in their, in their giving. And that's, that's the recommendation we get here. Now, I'm not suggesting that we water down our giving. But <laughs> oh, I have to, I just have to laugh. Okay, I have Hey, hey now guys, I don't want this to be fear-based. I don't want you to be pressured, but hey, I want you to know I am not suggesting we water down our giving. I, because I've got three, I don't know how many, I got multi, I got multiple million dollar homes, a 60 million plus dollar, well, we think it's around 60 million dollar jet. I've got an extravagant lifestyle to maintain. So we cannot start watering down our giving. I just find that somewhat, you know, I'll just, I'll just tell my own story here. One of the reasons I've always, uh, this is my own, just my own personal philosophy. I'm not saying other preachers have to have this philosophy, but this is just my philosophy. Anytime I come across a passage that talks about giving, because we've preached through 1 Corinthians, we spent, what, years going through 1 Corinthians. Whenever I come across a passage that talks about giving, this is what I always tell the people sitting in the pew. This is what I always say. I say, look, we've reached this, these verses today. Obviously, I didn't just choose this. You know, we've been working verse by verse. These verses, these verses are, um, these verses are about giving. And I just want you to realize the person who's going to benefit the most from this could possibly be me speaking. So I have, I have skin in the game to, to say, I, I, to use that phrase, I, I have an invested interest in this because I'm the one who can benefit. Because if I preach on giving and you guys give more, well, then the church has more money, not only to do things for the church, do things for ministry, yes, but it also has a greater possibility, a greater chance of, well, I don't know, I'm get, at that time, I wouldn't even getting a salary, getting a salary, maybe maybe getting paid one day, maybe one day I become, could become a full-time pastor 
pastor. Who knows? In other words, I always knew, even when I did not take any, any salary, I still don't take a salary, even when I never took a dime. Now they pay my house payment, but, but, but back then, the, uh, even then I knew that in a roundabout way, it's self-serving. I, a pastor, we can try to make it as spiritual as we want. We can try to pretend that, no, this giving is for your spiritual benefit. It's for you to grow in grace. It's so easy to say that, but you, everyone knows the game, right? The one who could benefit from this? I'm not saying there isn't spiritual benefits, but you just got to, we just got to be more brutally honest. Look, ministry requires money. I don't like that. I wish it didn't, right? I wish all ministry was free. It's not, I wish it was, okay? But I do know that when you're the one standing behind the pulpit telling people to give, there, you're the one who has the potential of benefiting from it unless you can just some some way not be involved in it, all right? So, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 someone said something in chat that I'm not going to read aloud, but, th- but I definitely agree that there's something, there, I, there's just something about this whole thing that doesn't sit right with me. There's something here that just doesn't sit right with me, um, about it. But I, I just, I just find it funny that after he said all of this, you know, Hey, I don't want us to water down our giving. I know, I know, I know you don't want to water down your giving. I know because, you're benefiting from it. Can, can can you just be honest and say, "Hey, I listen, guys. All the all he he believes his previous teaching on the tithe was wrong. Hey, all of that false teaching made me a millionaire. Hey, all of this new teaching is going to maintain me being a millionaire, or, or however how much money he's worth. I'd have to look up his net worth. Maybe it's not in the millions, but he he I, he's probably close. Okay, he's very wealthy. Let's put it that way." Why can't he just acknowledge, hey, there is a, there's a conflict of interest, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Whenever a preacher preaches about money, there's somewhat of a conflict of interest unless that pastor does not take a dime and does not take any money from the church in any way, shape, or form. I wish it, I wish it could work that way. I really do. Because in, I think to me, the less money you take, the less, I, I, I hate to say this, I think the less you take, the less it feels like the church owns you. I think the, I think the, I think the more freedom you have because they don't have anything to hold over you. They have nothing to threaten you with. I think in some ways there's, there's a great freedom that comes with it, with, with that. I wish in some ways there was no money involved at all. Now I do understand, make it very clear. I do understand the spiritual significance of giving. All right. Um, all right. According to one website, he's uh, worth twenty-seven million dollars. I mean, that's just absolutely insane. Okay, that's absolutely insane. But I want you to hear this. I do very much understand the spiritual significance of giving. I've, I've, I think this is very important to understand. I think if you if you really consider it from this perspective, Adam and Eve sin. Right, sin enters into the world. And it seems that one of the very first thing God establishes, right, is a sacrificial system, right? Because Cain and Abel are to bring a sacrifice and an offering to the Lord. This happens very, very early on. Now, you, I understand that there is a spiritual type, spiritual picture pointing ultimately to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I understand all of that. But I think that there was a practical 
spiritual benefit in this because you're taking something that belongs to you, an animal or crops or, or, or grain or whatever, whatever you have, right? Whatever you have, you are, there are all these, cause there's so many different offerings in the old Testament and sacrifices. You can read about them all in Leviticus, but whatever it was that you were to bring, that required a little bit of denial of self and self-sacrifice. I think giving the spiritual exercise, the thing that giving does is it requires you to give up something of yours to someone else, which is a kind of a, it's like basically going to the gym and working out your self-sacrificing, self-denying muscles, right? Because it's hard to do that. It's super hard to to give. When I've got money in my pocket that I'm like, man, I'm going to do this or I want to do this. And I take that and I give it to someone else, that, that I'm denying myself. And we have to exercise that, that discipline because the whole Christian life is a life of self-denial, dying to self, denying self, and not following self. And that's what makes the Christian life so constantly difficult because we're always in situations where we have to deny self. Giving is a part of, of exercising that. So I understand their spiritual benefits from it, but every pastor has to acknowledge that whatever spiritual benefit the people are going to gain, you are the one who could possibly gain materially. They may gain spiritually, but you're going to be the one who possibly could gain material. Even, even if it's not a direct pay raise or, or just the fact that the church, the more financially secure the church is, the more stable your possible future is from an earthly perspective is as a pastor. The less stable the finances is, then you're like, oh boy, what's going to, okay, we may have to get rid of this. We got to cut this. And sooner or later, it may be where we, we, you know, we have, you're, you're going to have to take a pay cut for the church to, to be maintained. And so uh, I just think we, there has to be more brutal, there just has to be brutal honesty here. And I just find it, I just find it funny that after he, he has spent 17 minutes saying all of this, he now wants to encourage the church to understand we cannot water down our giving. I just find that somewhat funny. Let, let's see what he says here. Here we go. Let's admit tithing is an Old Testament teaching. The New Testament contains a theme that overrides it. So set aside your emotions, please, just for a moment. And let's see what the New Testament actually says about tithing. Since we're no longer under the law, let's see what the New Testament actually says. I know what you've been told it said. I know what I might have told you 30 years it said, 30 years ago what it said. Let's see what it actually says. All right, let's look at uh, Matthew 23 and Luke 11:42. They, they say basically the same thing. Jesus' words about tithing are brief. There are only really two comments here uh, uh, from Jesus, but watch this. Uh, he said, uh, and this is so interesting here. He said, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe. You pay tithe of mint and, and, and anus and common and have committed the weightier, you have omitted, you have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Now watch this. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other, the other undone. All right, so he's going in here, and Jesus is criticizing the Pharisees for neglecting 
the law about justice and mercy and faithfulness in their tithing. And again, for you tithing these things, but you're neglecting the others. What is he talking about, the others? The other laws. You're, 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 you're keeping this law, but you're neglecting the other laws. So to be sure they are tithing, they absolutely were tithing. And Jesus says, you should, you should keep that law of tithing this, this, and this. But you shouldn't neglect the other laws about this, this, and this. All right, now watch this. So they are tithing, but they're tithing with wrong attitudes. No justice, no mercy, no faithfulness. Others is plural in the New American Standard Bible, and it refers to the Old Testament laws, not only to tithing law, but all of the laws in the Old Testament. You know what Jesus was saying? He says, I want you to be a good Jew. Don't neglect Jewish laws, because can't be a good Jew if you're, if you're a Jewish person if you're neglecting Jewish laws. He says in verse 24, they're so busy, you know, you know, straining through water so they won't swallow a gnat while at the same time they're swallowing a camel. What is he saying? They got wrong priorities. So he's not teaching on tithing here in verse 23. He's teaching on being a good Jewish person living under the law. And to be a good Jewish person living under the law, you can't do this part of the law and neglect the other parts of the law. Does everybody clear to see that? Many will say, well, see, Jesus is teaching on the law. And here's, what, here's, what, here's how I was taught. Jesus said, you tithe in this, 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 and you ought to. And they stopped right there. See there, you ought to. I ought to what? See, you ought to tithe. He, it's out of context. The context is Jewish people living under the law Tithing according to the law, don't neglect, don't neglect the rest of the law. I think, I think I'm just trying to help out here. I think I know what he's saying. I could be wrong, but uh, let's just, I just simplify it for everyone. If you attempt to live and justify or to establish righteousness under the Old Testament law, you must keep every point of it. If you're going to try to justify yourself, redeem yourself, become saved, or try to establish a righteousness by law-keeping, then you have to keep every point of the law. Everything about tithing, everything about mercy, everything about justice, everything about your neighbor, you have to keep it all because if you are guilty of one point of the if you break one point of the law, you're guilty of the whole thing. Now, from a theological point of view, I, I really appreciate him pointing this out. It's very true. If you attempt to establish a righteousness by law keeping, you have to keep it all because the minute you break one, you're guilty of all, meaning under the law, we're always guilty. We're always sinners and we can never be justified and we never can be righteous. So we have to look for something other than law keeping to, to become righteous. And that is placing our faith in Jesus Christ who kept the law perfectly, and then his obedience to the law is imputed to my account. So in Christ, I've kept the law. In Christ, I'm perfect. In Christ, I'm holy. This is very gospel-centric. I, I do appreciate this. There's just all this other stuff all mixed up with it that you're like, what? what is this? So let, let's, I'm just, I'm curious to see where this is going. 
He's not talking to New Testament Christians. Jesus is, Jesus is operating as a prophet, fulfilling the law, and he is speaking to them as an Old Testament prophet, fulfilling the law, and he is saying to them, you should be tithing according to the law, but you shouldn't be neglecting the rest of the laws. Luke eleven forty two says basically the, the same thing here now. Now, to be sure that they are tithing, uh, well, let, let, let's, let's, look, let's, let's, look at, let's look at something. Most people will tell you Jesus is advocating tithing for the new way that, he, that he's announcing in the gospel. He is not. He is just teaching as an Old Testament prophet according to the Jewish law. Now, there's another place we see him talking about tithing. Luke 18 and verse 12. All right, now check this out. This is so serious here. Jesus mentioned tithing in Luke chapter 18 and 12, where a Pharisee was boasting. You remember the story about the Pharisee and the publican? Where the Pharisee was boasting, he said, I fast twice a week and I give tenth of all I get. And again, Jesus does not speak against tithing, but challenges the Pharisee where his self-righteousness is concerned. Let, let me back up here. Look at, look, at, uh, look at this in the NLT, and let's back up to verse 11, Luke 18, 11, and read through this. There's a lot going on here. Luke 18, 11, and the Pharisee stood by himself, and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. All right, you're going to see the Pharisee is self-righteous. I'm not a cheater, a sinner, an adulterer, and I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. You, met, you ever met people in church today that, that they tell you, I'm a tither? And what does that mean? That means you're still under the law, huh? I give you a tenth of my income, Lord. Come on. But the tax collector stood at the distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And verse 14 tells you, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Do you see Jesus teaching on tithing here? He was rebuking this guy for his self-righteousness. Self-righteous people are people who strive to get right with God. And religion and self-righteousness are the same thing. Religion is the same as self-righteousness. It's, it's man's pursuit to make himself right before God. Religion and self-righteousness operates through guilt and fear. Guilt and fear. So when you're religious, there's some guilt and some fear. Dependency on guilt is what keeps religion alive and well. And like a drug dealer giving an addict a small dose of, of the drug to keep him coming back, so, what, so what's happening in the church is we used to give you a small dose of fear and guilt uh, to be ashamed of yourself for not tithing. That's why none of you... And the thing that bothered me about it is that I never met too many churches that had even 10% of the people in their church tithing. It was like the rest of your church knew something was wrong with this, and you kept pushing it, and you were pushing hard for only about seven or six people, six, six people, six or seven percent 
of the people tithing anyway because they figure, I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Okay, now I remember whenever you talk about money, that this is the part where you have to be okay. Well, because this starts this starts making me very nervous. Okay, so hey, we used to give a little bit of guilt and we used to use a little bit of shame to get the tithe, but we were only really getting about ten percent. Well, maybe less. We weren't even getting full ten percent of the people to participate. So what were we really getting out of it? We weren't really getting much. So is he claiming now that the new way we we won't go with the tithe, guilt and fear of tithing, but the this new way should lead to a far greater number of people giving than less than 10%. If less than 10% were tithing in the first place, then the tithe teaching really wasn't bringing in that much. It was bringing in a lot of money, but based on just a, a few people. But if now those people are still going to probably give 10% because that's what they're used to giving. So you're not, by going away from the tithe, you're not go, you're not going to lose those people who are already giving 10%. Now you may bring in other people who will feel less, maybe that that it's a, a more, it's, it, it feels better to give under this new situation. Is this a way just to increase the giving? I know that's cynical. I know that's skeptical, but I'm just saying you have to, you have to acknowledge the way it comes across. Hey, this old way was, we weren't even getting 10%. Okay. But now, 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 now. So the new way is going to get more than 10% of the people giving. Is, is that, it, it at least feels that way. I know that's skin, uh, that I know that's cynical. I know that's skeptical, but it feels that's kind of, it feels that way. I, mm, well, I got to let him talk and see. Maybe he'll, he'll uh, ease that concern in, in my, it's just, it's just, oh, there, there's just some, but again, whenever money is talked about, I always feel that way. I always feel that way. Even when it's talked about in, a, in an appropriate way, it just seems so self-serving for pastors. But here we go. And it turns out they was right. Is that the same Creflo dog? What happened? I'm growing, honey. I'm growing. I'm growing. I'm growing. Glory to God. Wow, is that the same Creflo dollar? Wow, he's changed his teaching on giving. He's not going to apologize, and he's still going to have multi-million dollar homes, still going to have an extravagant lifestyle. <laughs> okay. I mean, don't you see that? Don't you see that there's, it, I know you're, that, that it's awesome that you're growing. It's awesome. And I praise God for any positive understanding you're gaining in scripture. And I don't, and I'm not saying that in a sarcastic way. There's a lot of things he says about grace and a lot of things he says about kind of a grace-based focus that is really, really good. And praise God for any insight that he's gaining in that area. And hopefully he'll continue to move forward. But at the same time, it's just hard for me to hear like, hey guys, I'm growing, I'm growing and everybody applaud because wait a minute it was your wrong way that you claim God was talking to you about that made you a mil that made you worth possibly 27 million dollars I mean don't you see that whoa wow I mean man well I'm so glad you're growing I mean I mean you already got 27 million dollars but I'm but I'm, I'm glad you're growing it's just hard to kind of process this a little bit but okay it's like I feel like I'd be a more broken I'd be like man that teaching made me rich. I benefited off the backs of other people. I feel like there'd be a little bit of brokenness, a little bit of repentance. It's just more like, hey, look at me. I'm growing. Look at me. It's almost like, it's almost like, see, I, 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 it, I don't know. It, 
I don't know. I don't want to say anything that would be inappropriate. Let's continue. Jesus does not teach tithing. He challenges the Jew to tithe with the proper attitude. So what about the Apostle Paul? Let's look at the Apostle Paul right quick. As a former Pharisee, Paul, former Pharisee, a a former person who lived under the law, we would expect him to advocate tithing. He lived under the law. He was a Pharisee. But when Paul taught giving, he never mentioned the T word. Never. Now, if you think it was such a requirement under grace, why did the guy who got the revelation of grace, why did he never mention the T word? Now, you'll even hear grace people tell you, watch out for those preachers who talk about, you know, you you, you shouldn't be tithing in church, something wrong. No, 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 you, you you better go back a little bit. Either you're living under grace or you're living under the law or you're living under a mixture. And nothing happens when you live under a mixture of law and grace. Let's see what Paul had to say. Let's look at this in NLT, all of them. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. Look at what Paul had to say. Now, regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the church in in Galatia. Verse 2. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. Uh, When I come, I'll write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. Uh, And and if it seems appropriate for me to go along, uh, they can travel with me. So he he didn't mention the T word there. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 17 through 19, 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19. Well, this is kind of boring. When are you going to shout? No, no, no. We need to get taught. We, we, when you done had something wrong go on the inside of you, you got to teach that thing out. So you can shout after I say amen. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19. He said, teach those who are rich in this world not to be Okay, I got to just interrupt there. I do find it funny that some churches are so not used to like an academic, basically going through all the passages related to a topic and looking at them that he feels necessary to go, okay, I I know you guys are probably like, where is the shouting? Where So, you know, but I've got to do it this way. Why don't you do it this way all the time, right? Why, Why wouldn't clear teaching, going through everything. It just seems like the church is so not used to doing this that pastors immediately realize. And and I I guess, I mean, I teach that way all the time, but I understand you'll even hear me sometimes apologize. Like, I know this is very academic. I know we're just going through verse after verse. I've had to do that a couple of times in our uh, teaching on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, um, especially using the book um, that I used in seminary, that um, I guess as a preacher, sometimes you're always... You feel like you have to, I hate to say it, sometimes you almost feel like you have to perform or you have to, you have to make it interesting. Sometimes it, it should be acceptable that we just sit there and work through different texts in a very systematic and normal way. So I, I just find that interesting. I don't want to get us distracted because right now he's going, he's just finding all the verses where Paul speaks of tithing or speaks of giving and he wants to demonstrate that Paul doesn't mention the word tithing. Okay. All right. That's that, that's 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 good to know. 
I just don't know where he's, I, well, I think I, I don't know. Let's just see where he's going to go with all of this. We're, we're going to run out of time before long. Be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. He didn't say anything about T-word. Look at 2 Corinthians. Well, you homework, homework. Go home and read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Both of them talk about Paul's instructions on giving, and he never mentioned the T-word there. He did not mention the T-word. But uh, if, if, let's see, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And, uh, well, no, you go read it. Read it yourself. Give you a little something to do. Galatians 6 and 6, and then I'll go on. Never mention the T-word. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. He didn't mention the T-word. Why not? Why didn't Paul mention the T-word? Obviously, Paul did not want new Gentile believers to be tempted by Judaism. He didn't want new Gentile believers to be tempted by Judaism, which operated under the law. Here is a new and a living way. And so what happens, keeping the gospel pure without adding Jewish rules was his constant concern. Under the law, rule keeping was the administrator of morality. In other words, if you keep all of these rules, it should produce a better type of person. It failed miserably. So now rule keeping has been replaced by the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost now is the administrator of morality. And he starts working you and changing you from the inside out. He takes away your old want-tos and gives you new want-tos. And you're waking up one day trying to figure out what happened to that thing I used to want to do. The Holy Ghost has been working in you. And he does not want to mix he does not want to mix and add Jewish rules to this new and living way, to this gospel of grace. I got to thinking about this. This just this blew my mind. There was a question that was asked in Acts chapter 15. Let's go verse 5 and then verse 28 uh, in the New Living Translation. There was a famous Jerusalem council, remember that, in Acts chapter 15 that decided if the Gentiles had to adhere to Jewish law. And the answer was a sum total of no, which means they didn't have to uh, submit to Jewish, Jewish law where tithing is concerned. Look at this. I'm going to read two verses, Acts 15, 5, and then verse 28. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of Pharisees, they stood up and insisted the Gentiles' converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. And so they took this amongst the council to see, all right, should Gentiles have to live under the law that was specifically given to Jewish people? And they talked it over and looked at it and so forth. And verse 28 says, 
For it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. Go to the next verse. (laughs) You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood of the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. And if you do this, we good. Farewell. And I break down what the answer was. No, you don't have to keep Jewish law, which includes the law of tithing. Just do these three things and we're good. The Jerusalem Council decided that. And now the church in in the world decided against what the Jerusalem Council decided. The law was a part of tithing. When, When something is a part of the law, it is a part of the law And it's demonstrated because there will be a blessing and there will be a curse. Go to Malachi chapter 3. Yeah, Malachi. Oh, Malachi. Oh, Malachi. Go back, go back, go to verse 8. Do do it in the King James. I want to do it in the language that we've heard all our lives. (laughs) Okay, King James. All right. Will a man rob God? I mean, you've heard of Malachi's son. If you've been in church at any time, will a man rob God? Watch this. I don't want to rob God. You want to rob God? I ain't robbing God. That's already set me up. Will a man rob God? What the world? Yet, he says, you have robbed me. (gasps) You robbed God? But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? He said, in tithes and offerings. Mm, mm, mm. I should be ashamed of yourself. That's where the shame come from now. You done robbed God. You're a bunch of crooks. If you don't give your tithe, you're a crook. Robbing God. Well, Pastor, I want to set up a, a council session. Do you tithe? <laughs> well, I have a gift. I want to sing in the choir. Do you tithe? Do you, do you tithe? Because if you can't sing in this choir, you ain't tithe. Because we're not going to have a bunch of robbers sitting up there robbing God with some robbing anointing coming through the airways. Hey, now that he, well, was he, he demonstrates one of the reasons he probably has a lot. I mean, he's very good with his comedic timing. He's very good with his jokes and his inflection of his voice. He, he draws you in. He draws you in really, really good there. So from a communication standpoint, very good, but it's very, and I'm, and I do love the fact that he is clearly demonstrating that, hey, the New Testament, that, that, that's under the Old Testament law. And, and I think the Council of Jerusalem demonstrates, hey, and there's no placing on them Sabbath keeping, law uh, tithing. There's none of that there. I do believe New Testament calls for giving, obviously, but 
I, I, I think he's doing a very good job here. And I like the fact that it's very much gospel based and he's very much drawing a distinction that we're not under the law. We're under a, a, a whole different concept under the gospel. He's doing a really good job here. But what some, what he's kind of joking around about there with Malachi, sad to say, that's, that's actually shown up in many churches. You can't do this. You can't do that unless you tithe. You got to tithe. You got to tithe. You got to tithe. You got to tithe. You have to tithe. It's a requirement. You have to tithe. You don't. You're not in good standing with the church. You don't. You can't serve in certain uh, church. You can't maybe be a deacon or you can't be an elder. You've got to tithe. Like it's, uh, you can't do a lot of things. And in many cases, if something's going wrong in your life, it would be common to say, well, are you tithing? Because that could be the source of your problem because you're under a curse. That, that is very prominent in many, I don't, I can't say how prominent it is now. Um, but there was a time it was more prominent in the church than probably you would even want to believe. It's fear and guilt. It keeps religion alive. Now watch this. You are cursed. Kick off with a curse. For you have robbed me. You have robbed even a whole nation. Next verse. Bring ye all the tithes in the storehouse. Now, I'm going to show you a little bit later on. We equated the church with the storehouse. The church, in the, the church in the storehouse don't equal. The storehouse was something that was built because the temples didn't have enough room to store all the tithes, so they built granaries. The church is not, is not a storehouse for granary. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I'll not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive. You see, under grace, the window has opened. Jesus has come out the window. The blessing has been dispensed. Look, there's some things this, about this that have really bothered me, but I'm going to be, I am very grateful that he's definitely understanding the, that he's seeing this in the context of law and gospel. I really do appreciate that. that. Now, I, I still think that there's some questionable ways in the direction he's going, and he's not articulating that right now. So, but when something is good, something is good. I do like the fact that this is very much, and someone who uh, emailed me the other, uh, the other day and sent me a booklet by uh, Creflo Dollar that definitely was about the gospel and about grace, and it, it definitely gives some context here that he seems to have he seems to have a very good understanding uh, that, no, we're under the gospel. We have been given all spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. I hope he continues to pursue that way of thinking, and maybe that line of thinking will clean up a lot of other things. I mean, obviously what I pray is that he would repent of all of his charismatic you know, theology and, and completely move away from that. But I mean, praise God for every good thing, right? Be, we'd be grateful for every good thing and pray for more good things to come and more bad things to be replaced. So there, there's a lot of this that I really, really do appreciate, but we're going to try to find a stopping part, a point here in just a second. Oh God, forgive me. 
Lord, forgive me. But in those days, you know, in the preaching circle, now you can't say nothing. That's too often what everybody else is saying. You got to stay right there in the boundaries of everybody else saying that. Now, you can't say that now. And I figure since I have been excommunicated three, four times, <laughs> I'm good. I, I'm, already, I'm already out of the boundaries. I'm already, already I, it's just me and Taffy. Taffy's still my friend. I'm good. Because, see, Taffy can do some stuff for me that can't none of the preacher can do for me. You understand what I'm saying there? <laughs> I really, I really thank God for that. You understand? Bring, bring it to the storehouse, girl. You know what I'm saying? Watch yourself. Okay, all right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I quite understand what's going on there. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I missed something there. Um, someone did say, I have to hand it to him. He is pleasant to listen to. Yes, he is. He is pleasant to listen to. Got that communication skills down. And uh, there, there. look, there's some people who have these mega churches and I'll listen to their sermons and I just don't get it. I don't understand it. Now, that's because everyone is drawn to different styles of preaching and communicating. But in this particular case, this one, I can go, I, I can understand why people would want to listen to him. I can understand. I, I can. And I, to be, and, and in some ways, I'm hoping he continues to grow and move forward. And I wish the charismatic stuff would go and he would become a, a major speaker about, you know, uh, from a gospel centric perspective. It, it, it would be, I mean, who knows where I'm going to put it this way. Every single one of us. All of us, we're on a journey spiritually and there's going to be ups and downs and struggles and we're going to teach things that are right, going to teach things that are wrong. We're all in this together. So I'm hoping that he will move forward. I'm still a little concerned with his, again, because he's based his new philosophy on teaching on an extra biblical revelation given to him at five o'clock in the morning that God told him to write down. I mean, I can't just like, hey, that's no big deal. No, that's a massive big deal. And I think there's major problems with the philosophy that, hey, you give money basically to me so that you can demonstrate your dependency on God to take care of you. But I don't need to demonstrate my dependency on God to take care of me by rejecting your money, but by taking your money. There's so many problems with this. Hopefully he'll continue to work through this that may be some, some good thing. I guess here's the thing. We need to pray that God would have mercy and continue to bring him, that he will continue to discover more as he studies his word and comes to a better understanding. Well, we'll, we'll try to, after, I don't really get the joke that he was telling there. Everyone in the congregation got it. Everyone was cracking up. But let's, uh, I wonder, has he actually been excommunicated three or four times or was that a joke? Um, has he ever been actually excommunicated? I, I don't know. All right, let, let's, let's go through this. How do you even use this if you're no longer under the law, but under grace. And Galatians says that Jesus has taken, he became a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham, of knowing that he's the possessor of heaven and earth, he gave us his son, that he'll give us everything else. He took the curse from us. Don't you let nobody tell you you cursed. You are not cursed. You are blessed. You got Jesus in your life. You are blessed. You are blessed. Come ye blessed of my father. You are blessed. That's some good. 
Jesus became a curse for us. He, he, he took the curse. He paid for the curse. And now in Christ, I am blessed with all spiritual blessings. That is good stuff right there. That, I mean, praise God for that. I, I, I'm very, we need to be grateful for every little advancement in truth in your life and in my life and in anybody's life. I just, oh, just wish he could get away from the charismatic stuff. I just wish he could get away from the charismatic stuff. That would be so good. We're almost to it. We, I'm just looking for the stopping point. That's all I'm looking for. Don't let nobody tell you you curse. And some denominations say, well, you know, all black people are cursed because of the mark that he put on. Who was that? Ham. And so it spread it. And that's how you made black people. You better shut your mouth up. I know in a war I'm cursed. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm too blessed. Glory to God. I can't. I can't, even, I can't even spell curse. Let's see. K U N I D N A B A S H A T A. I'm blessed. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed coming out. I'm blessed when I go to bed. I'm blessed when I wake up in the morning. I'm blessed. Man, he can get that crowd losing their minds. He can get their crowd losing their minds. I, I, I don't even know. I've often joked. I don't know what it would be like to preach when people applaud or clap. But I, I would, I, I, I don't, I mean, we could have a whole uh, podcast episode about that. There's danger in it. Let me tell you, there's danger because once you start getting that, man, you, 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 you then can continue to play for it, which is a bad thing. I'm not condemning it. I'm just saying that. Um, I think every pastor has to know where, I think for some pastors, it would be best to say, hey guys, I really appreciate it, but don't do it because it leads me to playing up and, and, and continue almost playing for the ch- applaud, applause. And that would be a bad thing in their preaching, but maybe he doesn't. That's okay. But it is absolutely 1000% messed up evil that, that was ever taught in the church that black people were cursed. Um, and that is, wow, that, yeah, that. Once again, happening in the body of Christ and once again using scripture to teach something. So, which is just demonstrates throughout church history, the Bible's been, again, a couple of things we can just take from this. The Bible's been used to promote all kinds of heretical and horrible and hurtful and evil things because of the way we handle it. And it just demonstrates that once again, if the Holy Spirit was leading us into all truth, these things would not be appearing in the body of Christ. He would be guiding us away from them and they would never have shown up, which demonstrates that with the Holy Spirit's not giving us revelation. The Holy Spirit is not giving us illumination. What we have to do, he's given us his word and then we study it and then hopefully interpret it correctly. But there's going to be times we are wrong. But just, just, but just, we got to just remember this. Just as people taught horrible things about an entire race of people, they had, they were wrong. We've all been wrong about something. It's still evil and must be condemned. And there, and I, I, in some way would say there's no excuse for it. But uh, according to that logic, there should be no excuse for any error when it comes to the Bible. But we've all made them. Not because of something that I have done. But because the possessor and heaven and earth had decided to release his grace upon me. And even if I didn't deserve it and and because I didn't earn it, he decided to bless me anyway because I believe. Hallelujah. Correction. Not just because you believe, right? Because that still gives you some credit for it, right? The reason I'm blessed is because I believe no he chose you 
He saved you and he gave you the faith to believe. Your faith is a gift from God. It's not just because I believe, therefore I'm blessed. Yes, that blessing comes as a result of faith, but God gave you the faith itself. You didn't just, you didn't, you're not just, you believed and the person next to you didn't believe. So therefore it's something about you. No, no, no. God is the one who has to give the faith. I know that's drawing a distinction between obviously my reformed theology and their lack of reformed theology, but I always like that. No, it's all because of God. Because I believe. God did all of this for me. God gets all the praise because I believed. <laughs> okay, well, that gives you some something to boast about. And now all of a sudden I will be cursed because I don't get 10%. I'm going to give because, you know, if you give, it'll be given unto you. But you telling me I got to give 10%? Even Jewish people gave more than 10%. They gave almost 20-some percent or more. And I'm cursed because I didn't give 10%. That don't match nothing. But the law? But we're not under the law. We're under grace. All right, we're going to stop right there because that's a good thing to, to end with. We're not under the law. We are under grace. We're going to stop at the basically 40-minute 40, uh, yeah, 40 mark. 40-minute mark. That's where we're going to stop. Still got a ways to go. I think we will, we will try to finish this tomorrow uh, because the next thing I do today, I'll, I'll take a break, but the next thing I do today will be obviously our 30, uh, 30 scriptures in 30 days. We have to finish that, but... There we go. There's, there's, at least I feel somewhat better. By the time part one was over, I was about just whatever. There's still a, a bunch of this. I'm so not, it's still things that don't make complete sense. But I do love the fact that he wants us to know we're under, we're under grace. We're not under the law. We're under the gospel. We're not under law. I do love this gospel grace centric approach that is removing the burden of the law, the curse of the law, because we are in Christ and we are blessed. I, I That is all wonderful and great. We pray that he would continue to move in that direction and that the purging of the charismatic influence would go. We, we would definitely hope that. And that, look, there's there are probably a number of issues with his theology, but for every little thing, that moves in the right direction we want to be grateful for. And the same for me. I want I want to continue to move in the same direction and purge out anything that I have taught that has been incorrect. And hopefully the same for you. You want to continue to move in the right direction and purge out any wrong way of thinking that has been in your life for whatever reason. Um, but um, we def there's definitely some things we, we, we brought up at the end of part one that, man, this feels like, just kind of a repackaging of some of the word of faith stuff. It's just kind of a repackaging. And I'm still concerned that that's where this may end up. Because remember, the reason we can't really get into much of that in our review of part two here, or in our, in our part two of our review of his sermon, is because he spent the whole time here not talking. He didn't really establish exactly what giving is supposed to look like now. He gave a little bit of a hint of it, but he he's more just going into the fact the tithe is not for now. Now, I'm hopeful, hopefully by the sermon is over, he will really will lay out and articulate his perspective on giving, and then we're going to get a really good sense of 
You replace that with this? Mm, are you, are, is that, is that right? So we'll, 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 well, only time will tell where that may go. So we'll get to it. You can let me know your thoughts on all of this. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I do apologize. This went an hour and 20 minutes, but man, trying to review these, it takes so long. And uh, I always hate, I I just want to get, I want to, I want to be done with it because I don't like another series hanging over my head because I already, already always have too many other series to work on. So we will, I'm definitely will push to finish this hopefully maybe tonight. And if we can, I said tomorrow, I don't think I'll, I'll it'll bother me all night. So maybe we can finish this tonight. And uh, if we can, then we'll be great. But for now, we'll, we'll stop some, the live broadcast for now. And we'll be back, I don't know, at some point to work on, uh, well, 30 scriptures in 30 days. Uh, and uh, well, we're getting close to finishing that series. So hopefully we can bring that to some kind of a, 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 a worthy conclusion. We'll see. All right. Email me newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks to everyone, to Will, to Heather for listening. I greatly appreciate it and for offering their perspective and uh, thoughts. All right. Everyone have a great day. God bless.